Hi everyone, I'm Sofia, the founder of Vona and a host of this podcast, Vona Talks. Vona is a consultancy and education platform with a focus on climate, gender, security and intersection between them. In this podcast, we bring unique and underrepresented as well as more known voices of diverse experts, activists and storytellers. Hi everyone, here is Sofia again with Wanna Talks and today uh, the guest that I have invited is Dr. Lara Scarpita, an expert on peace mediation and women, peace and security with over a decade of experience in promoting the role of women in conflict and post-conflict countries in Southeast Europe and in the Middle East and North Africa especially Bosnia and Herzegovina, Syria, Yemen, and Libya. Welcome, Lara. Thank you, Sofia. Thank you for inviting me. Can you briefly introduce yourself to our audience as well? well my name is Lara Scarpitta, and uh, since uh, uh, May 2022, I am the OEC Senior Advisor to the Secretary General uh, um, on Gender Issues. And uh, at the OEC, I lead a team of 15 people. They are fully dedicated gender experts. And uh, um, in my private life, I'm a proud mum of two girls. I have a passion for traveling and for reading crime books. Awesome. That's very lovely to hear. And thanks for sharing some personal part as well. Um, before we dive into the content of your work with the OEC, I want to hear about your story. Where do you come from? What brought you to, to where you are today and your work on peace mediation, gender and potentially climate, as we will discuss later on? <clears throat> um, it's a long journey. Um, I come from a, a, a small town in Italy, uh, I would say a rather small town and quite provincial seaside resort, you know, one of those places where life really runs quite smooth and, and simple. And uh, after college, I decided to take a big step and move to the United Kingdom to learn English at first, but then I stayed on and I did my universities. Uh, I married, I took my PhD. So actually, uh, uh, my life took a rather strange journey to arrive at the OEC and to work only on... Uh, um, on gender equality uh, um, and uh, um, women empowerment. Um, but I have to admit, uh, before I, I explain to you a little bit about my journey, that uh, gender equality is pretty much into my genes. Um, I was uh, raised by two very strong women. My grandmother, who would be 110 years old today, uh, was a very successful businesswoman. Uh, even during the Second World War. And my mother was also a very strong uh, feminist. And they were my role model. They taught me the importance of being independent, especially financially independent, to be very open-minded and to be quite determined. And they never put a limit to my ambitions and dreams, even if, you know, at the time of my generation in Italy, was still a rather conservative society and women could not access certain jobs. Um, but even if it was, you know, in my genes, um, I did not immediately recognize that. I didn't work immediately on, on gender. On the contrary, university, I studied politics, international relations. I focused my 
academic research on EU affairs and also on quite hardcore security issues like terrorism, border control. And like you mentioned, I also worked for uh, many years, uh, over 15 years for the European Union, uh, working uh, in in conflict and post-conflict countries, uh, uh, Syria, Yemen, Iraq, Libya, and uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina. Um, But when I was working in conflict, uh, um, I think what made me... One thing I quickly realized throughout these 15 years is how much women are um, affected by conflict. Truly, the impact of conflict on women is disproportionate. And at the same time, I was working very much on the ground with women peace builders, with humanitarians, and I met incredibly brave women, women that were truly at the front line of defending human rights, supporting communities, supporting other women. And some of them are still today my my heroes because of their incredible um, resilience and uh, the really the, the determinations that they had to to seek peace. And by talking to these women, though, I also realized that, that there was no space there was no space for them in the discussions. They were completely excluded. I was working in peace processes and realized that that they were completely excluded uh, or underrepresented uh, in uh, in the peace talks, um, and they were constantly uh, undermined. So uh, I have to say that witnessing all this and really seeing firsthand uh, on the ground the suffering that women bear, but also their courage was a kind of a eureka moment, was a light bulb moment for me. And that's when my gender equality genes uh, came back. And uh, um, so even when I was working for the EU, from that moment, I started to work. uh, We're talking about 2015, 2016. I started to work more actively and more consciously about uh, uh, on on, on, uh, including women in uh, our projects, in our events. I organized dedicated events focused on women's rights, and I also helped, and I'm quite proud of it, uh, helped uh, uh, Syrian women come together in a platform. Uh, the Gaziantep Women Platform was a platform that was uh, um, also financially and politically supported by the EU to support them to influence the peace process. Um, and this, you know, over time, uh, I realized that uh, this was a real path for uh, for me to take, uh, um, and that's why I made the choice to come uh, uh, in this uh, organization, in the OEC, in this position. Um, and I'm lucky because I work every day with a really fantastic team to support women. And I'm also, uh, uh, you know, I'm a mother of two girls, so I want my kids and all the girls in the world to have a to have a, a, a better tomorrow. Of course. Uh, if you allow me, uh, uh, you know, this job is uh, uh, extremely rewarding, but I also, you know, have to be honest, it's not, uh, it's not been and certainly is not uh, uh, always an easy path. We have big successes, uh, but there are also um, massive pushbacks from every direction. And sometimes you fail, sometimes you achieve only very little, and uh, the frustration can be very high. But I've also been very lucky, and I'm very lucky because I have uh, with me very strong women. Uh, our Secretary General, of course, uh, uh, um, she's an international gender champion, 
and she's extremely supportive of the work that we do. But I also have my team, and uh, um, and also, more importantly, I have uh, the many women that we work with and we support uh, every day. And they are uh, inspirational, and they always give me the motivation and the strength to push for more uh, inside and outside. Wow, what a lovely story. Thank you for sharing. I mean, quite quite an impressive journey and uh, your work with the EU and OIC. Right now, I think I would want to focus a bit more on the OIC. And uh, it's good to hear as well that you have a team of 15 people, which I think knowing how many people there are involved in gender equality issues from different other organizations, I think it's a relatively big team. I mean, of course, we would want more. But it also shows the dedication of the organization towards the work and the profile of gender equality. Uh, well, um, but since the podcast is on climate, gender and security, and uh, the idea for, for this episode also came in when I saw your tweet um, in July 2023, when um, the OIC Secretary General Helga Schmidt hosted an OIC high-level conference on climate change in Vienna. And I saw your feedback on, uh, or yeah, your comment on what does gender equality and women have to do with climate change and with conflict areas. So would you share a bit more on to what extent your department works on climate, gender and security intersection? Maybe you also work with other departments, which because you probably have the one on climate security as well. But your perspective on to what extent climate change and gender are interconnected. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, your question. Let me put it a little bit uh, in a, in a, in, into context so that uh, um, you, know, you can understand, uh, 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 our audience can also understand a little bit uh, why uh, um, we are working on this particular topic from a gender perspective. Now, as you know, the OEC has a, um, a comprehensive approach to security which encompasses the political, military, the economic and environment, and also the humanitarian, human dimension. It therefore addresses a wide range of uh, um, security-related concerns, which include uh, um, climate change, which may be a threat multiplier. So from the UEC perspective, climate change is a security challenge and a threat to sustainable development. Um, it is a security challenge in the sense that it can aggravate existing threats to security, adding pressure, for example, that can push the responses capacity of governments to the limit. Promoting gender equality at the same time um, is at the core of the AC comprehensive approach of this comprehensive approach to security. And we have in place a, an action plan on gender equality that mandates the organization to integrate, to mainstream gender in all its policies and actions. And this is where our work comes in. Now, climate change is of course one of these actions because climate, climate change is not gender neutral. And what do we mean when we say climate change is not gender neutral? And I like statistics uh, um, because they really give the figures uh, and the pictures of the situation. And let me give you some uh, statistics. Now, women um, are uh, 14 times more likely to die due to extreme weather conditions. Um, 
more than 800,000 800, women die each year as a result of the lack of access to safe water, sanitation and hygiene services. And we know very well that water scarcity is a key effect of climate change. We also know that climate change puts a strain on the agricultural sector and drives food insecurity. This affects disproportionately um, women, especially the most vulnerable women, including, for instance, the refugees and the IDPs or the disabled. And we also know that women that are forced to flee due to climate change uh, um, events are more vulnerable to trafficking and are at greater risk of violence and sexual abuse. Now, this is the impact that climate change has on women, and this is a huge impact. Yet, like in peace processes, like in other sectors, despite this huge impact, women face major barriers when it comes to uh, decisions that affect their lives, decisions on climate change. And what are these barriers? Um, and I think the first barrier, the most important barrier, is the lack of representation. And again, let me give you some statistics to put it into, uh, into context. COP27 last year, there were 110 world leaders at the conference. Only seven were women. Seven women out of 110 world leaders. And if you look at the overall delegations, men accounted for 90% of the participants. I think these statistics are quite striking when it comes to understanding the lack of representation of women on climate discussions. The second issue that we have, uh, second barrier that we have, is the lack of access. Women lack access notoriously to power structures and to resources, including the resources that affect climate. And the lack of access is very often deeply rooted in cultural stereotypes and gender inequalities. Uh, if you think that in many patriarchal societies, the common perception of the role of women is very much limited to women being uh, um, in the domestic sphere. And this restricts the possibilities of women to actively participate in decision-making processes, even at a local level. The third barrier, uh, which is also extremely important that we have, is the lack of knowledge. Uh, um, I quoted some statistics before, but when we look at the policies and the responses, um, we see that they're still not sufficiently informed by solid data on how disasters impact different groups, especially vulnerable groups. And here with data, I mean systematic uh, data on sex, age and disability that can inform key policies like disaster risk reduction policies and climate change prevention measures. We still lack that data and therefore we still lack a full knowledge of how conflicts affect vulnerable groups and affect women. Um, the fourth important barrier is also the lack of leadership roles. Um, in Europe uh, alone, uh, and here I'm quoting the European Institute for Gender Equality, uh, only 26.8% uh, of the government ministers which are responsible for uh, environmental and climate change policies are women. Uh, 
73.2% are men. So we don't have sufficient women leadership. We don't have sufficient women in leadership position um, at ministerial level uh, to drive uh, policies uh, that take into account also uh, the impact um, of climate change on women. And of course, these are all huge barriers that needs uh, overcoming, but uh, um, we definitely must work towards addressing them because we know women represent 50% of the population and we cannot have effective policies if women are not uh, um, at the table and if the uh, impact of uh, um, our policies is not taken into account or the effectiveness of our policies is not taken into account uh, um, the vision uh, and the perspective of half percent of the population in the world. Thanks. Um, thank you for sharing this striking statistics. I mean, we, like me personally, I do know it, but it's always good to repeat it. And uh, also considering that there is not that much gender data when it comes to climate change security. So we, we still lack a lot of statistics and even these numbers that are available are already quite shocking. So I assume if we go into depth and into all the details, we might figure out even more effects and, and statistics that will be shocking even more. Do you have any solutions that you work on? Because, um, I mean, it, the situation is indeed not, not that good, but has your organization been, or you yourself within your department, are there any initiatives concretely that you are trying to work on or maybe have in mind to work on that would kind of try to, I don't want to say solve the problems because it's impossible to be uh, the one who would solve it would require a whole of a society approach, but at least to a certain extent, try to improve it on, on the ground or depending on the region that are of the priority to the OSC. Thank you for your question. Uh, um, addressing climate change, uh, uh, we know very well it requires bold solutions and uh, uh, and actions. We've seen very clearly uh, uh, the kind of impact that climate change is having uh, today. Uh, um, we saw the, the the effects of the droughts, the heat waves, the tropical storm and wildfire wildfires uh, this summer in, in in Europe, and the kind of impact this has had on on communities and on the economy. Um, it requires so. Addressing climate change, uh, uh, um, like I said, requires a, a bold solution. Um, but I want to stress again that there can be no effective solution if women are not included. And uh, um, I, I, I've said this before, but uh, I believe that there are a number of steps uh, that the states can take uh, um, um, to address these issues. And there has been a number of recommendations that I also made at uh, um, the climate conference that was organized by our Secretary General in June. And I, uh, the, the first recommendation, the first step that can be taken and needs to be taken is uh, to uh, uh, promote the effective participation of women in the decision-making processes on climate change both on the prevention, but also on the mitigation and adaptation to the uh, um, to the effects. And here, what needs to be done uh, um, is to boost the um, representation, the female representation in climate talks in all the national delegations and at all levels. You know, the UN, uh, UN Women run some statistics uh, lately. And uh, um, in the study, they indicated that 
at the moment, 30% of women, less than 30% of women are represented in national and global climate uh, negotiating bodies. And we know that women do have the knowledge. We we, we, do, uh, we, we know this very well, but they do miss a seat. And we really need to uh, revert this trend by bringing um, women um, at the um, at the decision-making tables in um, in national delegations. The second recommendations that uh, I would make is that we need to encourage more a multi-stakeholder approach in uh, tackling climate change, including uh, promoting the participation of women organizations and of civil society. And in this regard, it is uh, particularly important to ensure that women with disabilities are included um, because they have further vulnerabilities and further needs. You know, very often, even arriving at the venues of the climate talks is a barrier, is a physical barrier. So uh, um, these are all measures that need to be taken. The... um, Third recommendation uh, 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 links up to um, what highlighted has been a key problem, which is the lack of knowledge. We need uh, to increase the knowledge, and we can only increase the knowledge if we collect and use reliable data. There is a true need now uh, to have uh, uh, for national authorities to collect reliable and comparable data disaggregated data that can be used uh, for an effective uh, um, and inclusive policy making. And in my view, in, in this regard, when, when looking at uh, uh, data, we should also give priority um, to those groups which are particularly at risk, um, for example, marginalized groups, um, and uh, uh, in order to better understand and better address the communities the vulnerabilities at the community level. Thinking, for example, of pregnant women, of uh, elderly or uh, people um, with, uh, with, uh, with disabilities. And once we have uh, um, reliable data, then we can be effective in devising policies, in uh, um, putting in place effective uh, also recovery uh, policies uh, um, related to uh, climate uh, uh, disasters, climate-related disasters. And uh, um, finally, uh, um, a key recommendation is also uh, one of strengthening the partnership uh, uh, with civil society and empower more women, and especially uh, um, women-led organizations and youth grassroots organizations that today are leading on climate change actions pretty much at a local level. We also see the civil society are often the the very first respondents to disasters, to natural disasters, but they don't necessarily have the means to respond effectively. So it is important that governments also build very strong partnership with civil society because they are on the ground and they can uh, um, address best and identify best also their vulnerabilities. At EOC, we launched uh, uh, several initiatives. I would like in particular to to also mention 
one one area that is particularly close to my to my heart because it is intrinsically linked to um to climate uh, um, to climate change is uh, the linkages between uh, gender and corruption and corruption is is as we know present in the management of uh, natural resources which directly impacts uh, uh, climate change and with my team we have uh, started to look more closely at the nexus between uh, gender and corruption, and guess what? Uh, we uh, um, saw that uh, women are also in this area disproportionately impacted by corruption and are subjected by specific forms of corruption, including sexual extortion. But we also uh, um, started to look more specifically at uh, corruption, gender corruption, and in the access of uh, natural resources where again uh, preliminary findings show how women are substantially underrepresented in the access to natural resources, even though they are the primary users in terms of household consumption. So the, the, the linkages are multifaceted. Yeah, indeed. Thank you also for sharing such a concrete example on the corruption natural resources. I have never looked at it myself as well, so it would be something interesting to check afterwards. If you have any links to something that is publicly available from your work, please do feel free to share. We can also share it with the audience in the description to the podcast. But um, yeah, I also could see uh, with the Institute for Gender Equality, the European Institute that you mentioned earlier, they also have a lot of statistics on on climate and gender. And I think one of the also files that they released was on women and farmers and the women who own the farmlands. And I think also the percentage is like less than 20% for sure. I do not remember the concrete one. I might include it later on as well. But it was quite striking seeing, as you said, that women are probably the ones who are in the kitchen in major cases, who are cooking, who are going to the markets, buying the products, but then the ones who are still not present at all of the levels when it comes to managing the natural resources. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any other concrete examples that I wanted to say, uh, maybe depending on the region that you work on with uh, or the regions where you have worked so far before, because OEC has this unique mandate of working in Europe, which um, where we do not always see the effects of climate change yet. Or, I mean, the heat wave probably is the only concrete example that a lot of people say like when, when we're suffering the temperature rising over 30 degrees and everyone is like, oh, these are the effects of climate change. But then we again forget about it until the next heat wave. We've seen a lot of floods happening this week in different countries and uh, earthquakes and so on. And like watching the news, I think for the past few days has been quite, yeah, terrifying, I would say. Do you have any concrete examples, maybe also to bring in closer to Europe, maybe even with your own country in Italy, the effects of climate change, probably? The OEC uh, region is uh, is very wide uh, and it covers from North America to, to Central Asia. We also have several partners in Mediterranean and uh, in Asia. And I would argue that all our 57 participating states are experiencing security challenges posed by climate change uh, because the effect of climate change does not stop at borders and does not affect only one country, even if perhaps today uh, there is uh, less acknowledgement, uh, for example, in Europe, 
what what is happening. But, you know, uh, um, what we've seen this summer, I mentioned the drought, the heat waves, the tropical storms. Um, what we've seen, um, um, what has happened in, in, in Europe um, this year is particularly, in my view, particularly worrisome because uh, uh, um, even in my own country, uh, entire economic areas have been, uh, have come under significant strain because of uh, um, um, climate change related events. I mean, the agricultural land has been lost. Uh, the fisheries and tourism sector has been affected uh, um, throughout uh, throughout the Mediterranean. We also seen um, bringing it closer to Europe. You know, the conflict in Ukraine has also led to some significant uh, environmental damage, and uh, um, we also have to look broadly how you know climate change in one part of the world has. Uh, significant cascading effects, significant security cascading effects uh, um, in, in other parts, and especially in the northern hemisphere in, 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 uh, and in Europe. Uh, um, increase uh, in, in, in droughts in, uh, in, in Africa also means increasing migration, uh, growing refugees flows, and higher risk of trafficking. Uh, these are all phenomena that put re- women, for example, at a very serious danger and risk. So we cannot look at climate change only focused in one region, only focused uh, in, uh, um, in one country. Um, the impacts as multiplying uh, uh, effects and um, cascading effects um, in other regions, and no one is immune. It's very also important to hear from you, since in the beginning you were sharing, you worked a lot in conflict areas as well, so you have some experience in that case, and then afterwards you came to gender and to climate, and also to see that we don't have the luxury anymore to be like, this is the problem that is somewhere out there, but it's something that touches all of us and all of our households. And I think it's just a matter of time before we will see even worse effects. And this is not to scare anyone, but this is, I think, also to kind of encourage people to take climate actions, to join the movements, to vote when the upcoming elections will be coming in in Europe and in your national countries, local parliaments, to vote for those parties who at least promise, and maybe not only promise, but also deliver to to actions related to climate once. Well, thank you very much for your time, Lara, and for sharing with us your story, your vision, and for being very honest. And uh, I think we had quite a versatile conversations and we touched on so, so many topics. Do you have any last message you want to share with our listeners? It can be a call for action or something that you want particular to stay in mind of the listeners. I think the core message uh, um, is that there is no single issue that can be addressed uh, uh, really successfully uh, without integrating a gender perspective. Um, women must really be part of all discussions, all the world decision making. And it is hugely important uh, to continue tapping into women's knowledge and uh, uh, talent. This is uh, certainly... Um, a key priority uh, in uh, in the OECE um, because we do believe that a long-term solution to the current threats that we're facing, but also to the emerging ones, such as climate change, um, can only be 
effective when all uh, society is uh, um, is involved. Uh, this is uh, the mission uh, that we have, and we will continue to uh, to pursue. Thank you again, Lara. Thank you. That was it for this episode. Now we would love to hear from you. Let us know who should be our next guest. Maybe it's you. To get engaged, go to our website buona.international, where you will find a box to share with us your ideas and requests regarding next episodes. Also, subscribe to our monthly newsletter and follow us on social media. Talk soon! Talk soon!